0: Hola. (laughs) Thank you for the invitation to come and be here. Hey, I want to show you something interesting about the Bible. The rabbis of old, they had a term called stringing pearls. And what they would do is take people in the synagogues through the scriptures and bring out truths and string them together to paint a beautiful picture concerning the Lord and His truth. As though it was a necklace made out of pearl, you know, that a lady would wear around her neck and it'd be close to her heart. And so pearl was such a valuable item that they just likened it to that because the truth of God is so valuable. And another thing I wanted to show you the Bible, there's no other book in the history of mankind that can match the Bible. There's nothing. It is divinely inspired written by God, and it's the only book written, not even Christian men can write like this, as great as some of them are. And some of the greatest authors that we have known in history, United States or Europe or Greek history, can write tremendous things. But you can't take anything that man writes and say, for instance, it has, let's just get hypothetical, maybe 30 chapters, and begin by reading chapter twenty first then you jump back and read chapter eight, then jump forward and drink you know read chapter twenty six and then finish up by reading chapter one there 's no book written by man where if you did it that way, it would make any sense. but the Bible you can do that because it 's written by God, and it 's so beautiful that he can take you all over in different areas. And give you a beautiful picture of his son Jesus Christ. So I thought I'd just do that with you tonight. Just to bless you. I hope it blesses you. You know, When it happens to me, it sure blesses me. So let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit to honor his word. Father, my voice will do nothing. My speaking will do nothing. To edify and comfort and encourage and build faith. We need the Holy Spirit. To breathe upon your word. And so, Father, I ask that you might make it come alive in each heart, and you breathe upon your word that you've written in this marvelous book, this marvelous autobiography, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's start with Psalm 40. This is written about 1050 B.C. by King David and it's one of those areas in the scriptures where as in many cases as the author is speaking and writing the Lord himself takes over and speaks through the person in the in the first person. And you have a situation here where David is as Jesus referred to him as a prophet not just a king. He's prophesying here. And he's speaking of someone that's going to come, not knowing it probably. And then the Lord himself takes over and speaks in the first person through David. And so we'll look at that. Turn to Psalm 40. Let's look at verse 6. It's interesting, the writer of Hebrews quotes this concerning Jesus Christ. So verse 6, David's saying, Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. Mine ears hast thou opened. Burnt offering and sin offering hast thou not required. In other words, there's a day coming, there's something more, something better than the Old Testament sacrifices and rituals that was temporary. But then as he says this in prophecy, the Lord himself takes over and speaks through him in the first person. In verse 7 The Lord says, then said I, lo, I come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me. Well, it can't be David because the volume of the Bible is not about David. It's not Moses. It's not Abraham. They just appear in history in certain portions of the Old Testament in a certain time frame. This is none other than Jesus Christ himself. Lo, I come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me. So right there he's declaring, you see, from Genesis, starting in Genesis, you can find Jesus Christ, either in a theophany, a personal appearance to Moses or Joshua, or Samson's parents, many, many places. in actually the second person of the Godhead, not in human form, because he hadn't come as a Jewish boy yet. He didn't even have the name Jesus. He was a second person of the Godhead. There was no, you know, in the beginning there were no Jewish people, just the Godhead, the Trinity. So he says also, and Jesus declared this, you remember, in John, when 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 Jesus said, I come to do his will and to finish the work. That he sent me to do. And then on the cross he said. It is finished. He finished all that was necessary. According to the law. That God would not have to send his punishment upon mankind. But he put it upon his own son. And then he can justify. And forgive. So he says I delight to do thy will. O my God. Yea thy law is within my heart. And it's interesting now. Some 10,080 years later. The person that declared here, lo, I come, in the volume of the book has written me, came as a Jewish baby, as a Jewish Messiah, just as he said he would. So turn to John chapter 5. This is, you see, when he has been baptized, he's begun his ministry, and the tragedy was that by this time when he did come, the Bible was no longer being read. Books about the Bible became more popular. Great scholars and the books they would write telling the people what the Bible meant became the Bible. And so the person who said, lo I come in the volume of the book is written of me, since they weren't reading the book, when he came they didn't know who he was. So the the great scholars and the book writers, the commentary writers, the Pharisees, the scribes, the priests and the lawyers that were telling all the people about Messiah Christ are the ones that plotted and crucified him. They didn't know who he was. And as he began to teach the true meaning of the scriptures again, since they weren't reading them, only the commentaries trying to tell people what they meant, And they all had different ideas. They accused Jesus of breaking the law. And it was nothing but a tradition. It wasn't even scriptural. And some of the things he did to open their eyes, and you see, they became angry. The common people began to respond to them. And so he's constantly explaining to the Pharisees, the priests, what the Bible means, what God declared. And it was going right over their heads or they were hardening their hearts. And afterwards they would just say, we've got to get rid of him. And they're plotting to destroy him. And he finally had to tell them, you see, you don't have the word abiding in you. And he was so gracious and patient and long-suffering with them. And one time on the Temple Mount in John chapter 5, verse 39, he says something very profound again the questions the doubt the challenging the disrespect the scorning of the religious leaders notice what he said he didn't say join something he didn't say you got to go to church more go to the temple more keep the feast days more look what he told them search the scriptures the ignorance Concerning Jesus Christ is because people were not searching the scriptures. They were just going through the ritual and their traditions thinking that made them believers because that was their culture. They were the land that had the Bible and God exposed himself to these people. And they were all living under a false peace. And here what the scripture said. The person who said, through many of the prophecies, standing right before them in human flesh, and he didn't know who he was. Had no love for him. Didn't even understand his love for them. So he says, again, they're questioning. I have all these ideas about who Jesus is. Which is the right way? Are these people right or are those people right? That all disappears when you read the Bible. He said, search the scriptures. For in them, you think you have eternal life. And notice what he says. And they are they which testify of me. He didn't say they testify of Moses, Abraham, David, Isaiah, Jeremiah. Now something else that you, you might not be aware of. When he said this there's not one verse of the New Testament that had even been written. It was several years before the New Testament even began to be written. It's four years before the Apostle Paul even got saved. So what he's telling them from Genesis through Malachi, the whole book is about Jesus Christ. And if you read the Bible, the Old Testament, he appears or providentially controls cultures or events in every book of the Old Testament and all through the Psalms. In fact, there's not one miracle that Jesus ever performed that wasn't spoken that God said he would do. He just didn't randomly do miracles. Everything he did that was miraculous was testified and spoken of in the Old Testament concerning Messiah, concerning God Almighty. So he said, search the scriptures. They, everything in the Old Testament speaks of Jesus Christ. And it does tremendous things for the faith. When you see the way things are written, how God designed and controlled time and events to paint a beautiful picture, to increase faith and assurance, especially of his love and his covenant his shed blood, which is far greater than the blood of any bull or goat, and salvation by grace and grace alone. Now turn to Exodus chapter 25. Let's just jump back a few thousand years. Lo, I come in the volume of the book, it is written of me. And it's interesting, as soon as Moses had led the children of Israel out of Egypt you remember he's given the blueprints for the Ark of the Covenant. Now remember when they were slaves before they left they were told to go to the Egyptian neighbors who had kept them as slaves and didn't pay them anything for over 400 years to ask for silver and gold and clothing and apparel and the Egyptians willingly gave them everything they needed and God did that and see, to give them the materials for the the tabernacle, and the implements in the tabernacle on their wanderings through the wilderness to the promised land. So that when they went to build the things according to the blueprint that God's giving Moses, they had the gold, the silver, they had the tapestries, they had the goods, you know, and materials for the curtains and the holy place and tabernacle. But here, this portion, it's interesting what God tells Moses. This is Exodus 25, verse 10. He says, they shall make an ark of shittim wood, that be the acacia tree, which incidentally has thorns in it. Two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof, and a cubit and a half the height thereof. So actually three and three quarters by two and a quarter, or two feet and a quarter, just a little rectangular box. And then I shall overlay it with pure gold. Within and without, thou shalt overlay it, and shalt make upon it a crown of gold around about it. So as they made this little hollow rectangular box, they made a lip of gold around the top, on the edge, because they were going to set a lid on it, and the little lip around the edge of it would keep the, the lid from sliding off the top and exposing people that were carrying the ark to the demands of the law that was inside See, because uh, uh, under the law, nobody survives. We're all guilty. The law can't save. It just proves guilt. It shows God's demands for perfection and holiness that no man can keep. Thou shalt cast four rings of gold for it, and put them into four corners thereof, and two rings shall be in the one side of it, and two rings in the other side of it, up toward the top. And thou shalt make staves of shittim wood and overlay them with gold. And thou shalt put the staves into the rings by the sides of the ark that the ark may be borne with them. So as the little rectangular box on front and back near the top were these golden rings and these long staves that were made out of wood covered with solid gold but put through the, you know, through the rings and then there were certain men that God would pick out uh, in their Levitical order, and they would carry the ark. When the cloud would move and the presence of God would direct them in another area, they, they would take the ark and it had to be borne on the shoulders of men. It's a picture of, you see, it, people bring the presence of God into where they are. It was to be borne by the men. In other words, a church is as healthy as the people in it. People bring the presence of Jesus into a church. They carry the ark themselves. And the staves shall be in the rings of the ark. They shall not be taken from it. And thou shalt put into the ark the testimony which I shall give thee. That would be the Ten Commandments. Remember, Christ came to fulfill it all. Thou shalt make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof. Thou shalt make two cherubims of gold of beaten work shalt thou make them in the two ends of the mercy seat so they were to take this opening and it would be covered they would make this solid gold lid with two angels on either end attached to it amazing how it was made you can't figure it out the specific gravity of gold no one can figure out why it didn't collapse and sag but it's solid gold God's giving the instructions to Moses how to make it. And so they would take this lid and cover over, you see, the judgment that comes from the guilt of the broken law. Cover it. Make one cherub on the one end and the other cherub on the other end. even of the mercy seat shall you make the cherubims on the two ends thereof. So this little rectangular box, all covered in gold with a solid gold lid, with two angels just facing each other, looking down at the top of this little box, so to speak. And the cherubim shall stretch forth their wings on high, covering the mercy seat with their wings, and their faces shall look one to another. Toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubims be. And so they're looking toward each other, one on either end, down toward the center of the lid. And thou shalt put the mercy seat above upon the ark, and in the ark thou shalt put the testimony that I shall give thee. Remember, Jesus came to fulfill all the demands of the law. And notice what the Lord says. And I will meet with thee, and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims which are upon the ark of the testimony of all things which I will give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. So he's there in his invisible presence, no human form, just the Shekinah glory of God hovering right between those angels. can't see anything. And then on the day of atonement, the great day of atonement, something very interesting would take place. All the children of Israel would gather, and the high priest would go in behind the veil, but he couldn't go in until he had the blood of a bullock slain, and innocent substitutes, innocent substitutes, blood had to be shed, and he had to sprinkle himself with blood. Because, you see, God wanted to, just because you're a priest or a pastor or a Whoever, we're all sinners. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So nobody can go into the presence of God without being sprinkled with his blood. So Aaron knew that. Then he would take a goat and he'd slit the throat of the goat and take its blood upon after he sacrificed it and then the blood upon himself. He would go in behind the veil and again he would take the blood of the bullock and the goat. The goat is for all the sins of the people. And he seven times he'd sprinkle it on the ground in front of the little mercy seat and on the lid between the two cherubims. So you have this Shekinah glory, incense going up so the priest can't even look or even want to look and see. All he sees is he's sprinkling blood of an innocent substitute. And he does it seven times. Which is very interesting because Jesus bled seven times. If you remember, he was beaten on the face, scourged, crown of thorns, two hands, two feet, and his side. He bled seven times. The innocent substitute. Now turn to John chapter 20. At this time, Caiaphas is the high priest. And he said something very interesting. He said that, know you not, that as they're plotting to try and kill Jesus, they don't believe he's the Messiah, but he makes an interesting statement. He said, know you not that, that this man must die for the whole nation? We've got to get rid of him so the nation will survive, that Rome won't come down and take our freedoms from us. They'd rather have Rome rule them than Christ. And it's interesting, under the edict of Caiaphas, the blood of an innocent man was shed. The bullock, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world, was shed. The first day of the week, this would be Sunday morning, come with Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, into the sepulcher, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. Now it had been sealed, you remember, and there was a Roman guard there to keep it. We know by the other gospel accounts that an angel rolled the stone away. So people could get in and see. Certainly not so Jesus could get out. I mean, he created everything. He could you know, manifest the molecules of his body and just pass right through it like he did Sunday night after the resurrection. When he showed up for you know the Sunday night Bible study. <laughs> Walked through the wall. You know, it's going to be interesting to have our glorified bodies, isn't it? Are you ready for your glorified body? I'm looking at some of you. You should be. I know I am. <laughs> I mean, I can get upstairs, but I have trouble getting down them now. Thank God for railings <laughs> and a leave <laughs> and Biofreeze, <laughs> and orthoscopic surgery and everything else. <laughs> so she sees the stone taken away from the sepulcher. And then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter And to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, that would be John. Not that Jesus loved John anymore, but John just knew it. John opened up to it. I mean, there are some people that they don't allow Jesus to love them. They're holding back in some area of their life so much with doubt or unbelief or fear, afraid to turn their will over to him, that, you know, not assured that he's really going to take care of them, and bless them, and love them. And some people do know, oh, the Lord loves me so much. It's wonderful to know that the Lord loves you. That's why you're created. You realize that? That's why he died for you, because he loves you. And he wants you to know that. (laughs) He wants you to realize just how important you are. You're the apple of his eye. His thoughts are more than the sand of the sea for you. And his thoughts are only for good for you. And he says in Isaiah that... You will never be forgotten by him. He wants you to be his friend. He says he spoke to Moses. Maybe I'll share this Sunday. He, he spoke with Moses face to face as a friend. And he spoke with Moses, not at Moses or to Moses. With Moses. God wants to be your friend. He doesn't want you to be afraid or doubt. Not only does he have blessings for you in this life... But he's got eternity waiting for you. His love is marvelous. It's, you go into such a deep rest and peace when you really know that you can be the friend of God. And he wants to talk with you, not at you. That's friendship. So she comes and she sees Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loves, saith, says, they've taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher. We know not where they've laid him. See, that's interesting. She looked in there and didn't see see him. Peter therefore went forth and that other disciple and came to the sepulcher. So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulcher. It's interesting, John's writing this, and he has to throw that in there. He got there (laughs) before Peter. How many here have had the privilege of going to Israel with Pastor Dwight? And we actually seen this place it 's that 's the you can be ninety nine point nine percent sure one of the actual sites we We do go to many of the actual biblical sites, so you can trust that they 're the sites on a, on a Calvary chapel tour but this is as you look in you can almost you 're in and you have the eyes of John and Peter looking in exactly as they did as in the narration here and be able to see. Notice it said they stooped down. You have to stoop down to step in. Looking in, they saw the linen clothes lying, yet he went not in. Then cometh Simon Peter following him, and he went into the sepulchre. Good old Peter, you know, he stepped out of the boat. He pulled in. Can you imagine... <laughs> the way the Lord trusts us that he would use just wretched, weak, imperfect people called pastors. <laughs> Can you imagine one of the first apostles? He whips a knife out and tries to kill a guy. Pulls a knife on a guy. I suppose after he stabbed him, he saying, say, you know, Jesus loves you. <laughs> now, when he sees the linen clothes lie, it has a, a, a powerful effect. And the napkin... That was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself, or folded. You see, so the very, the very narrative here shows immediately that there weren't grave robbers who went in there and ripped all the grave clothes off. Because remember, they're wrapped like a mummy, and there's over 100 pounds of aloes and spices, like glue, aromatic glues, myrrh and aloes, you see, in the wrappings to overpower the stench of the putrefaction of the flesh. You see, because after a while, they'd unwrap the carcass, the flesh is gone, and they'd take the bones of the body that are left and put them in the rectangular tomb, and that's what's called burying. you're being buried with your fathers. So they all families, after the flesh is off the bones, put everybody in the same sarcophagus. Sarcophagus means flesh eater, uh, uh, made out of limestone, the flesh eater, the sarcophagus. But here's what's interesting, you see... If they stole the body, there'd be no grave clothes. But everything's still neat. As they look, they see the grave clothes, but there's no body in it. It's just kind of collapsed a little bit. And the napkin is the face cloth that they put over the face of the person who's dead. Because their, their work, at that time, their work is finished. Now, this napkin is the sweat cloth that slaves or workers would use during the day on the job. to wipe their face. It's the same exact cloth or sweat man that when Paul was working and they needed prayer somewhere, they'd go to Paul, and here's how faithful Paul was and what a spiritual man does. He didn't walk off the job to pray for somebody. Because he'd already given a commitment to the man he's working for to give him a full day's wage as a believer. So what did he do? He said, well, look, you guys go pray for him. I've committed, and I've given my word to give this man eight hours today. And so what he would do, he'd take his sweat cloth, his napkin that he was using, and send it with him, and it would trigger their faith. They would pray for him, because Paul knew the Lord did the healing. And so they'd take his sweat cloth and they would use that, and people, it would trigger their faith. Whoa, this is the Apostle Paul's. You know, say for instance, sending a handkerchief. It was the Apostle Paul's handkerchief. I don't care how many times he blew his nose in it. But who's this Pastor Bill guy to take your handkerchief somewhere else? But Paul, you know. Well, here in the narrative, you see, and this is what the slave would do. Every day after the slave would faithfully serve the master, remember, Jesus said, I have come to do the will of the Father, or his will, and to finish the work. And every day when the slave would be finished with whatever his duties were, with the master or the owner, he would take his sweat cloth and neatly fold it and set it on the side by his instrument, whatever his tools may be, or you know, whatever it may be on the job site. And it would signal that I've given you my best and I've finished the work you've asked me to do. And it's folded neatly. It wasn't just he'd run off the job early haphazardly. That was always the symbol that I've finished the work. So they see this. There's no body in the wrappings. They they can see that. So it disproves that a body was stolen. Certainly not out of the wrappings because it would be impossible. If that was the case, you see, there'd be you know, gauze and wrappings and like mummy all over the inside of the tomb. And it's interesting, you see, when the angel showed up, he, <laughs> the fear overwhelmed the Roman guards. You see, they could, they, there's no way they could get through the Roman guard that were guarding that tomb. So the Lord already even had that prepared, that the Roman soldiers were all went into a deep sleep and fled in fear when the angel appeared to roll the stone away. So the Lord had it all ready, you know, worked it all out for them. Notice, then went in that also that other disciple, which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and he believed. You see, he's not here. This isn't some random thing. The body wasn't stolen. But the grave clothes are still there. For as yet they knew not the scripture. In other words, they didn't see up to that point they just it wasn't entering in, it wasn't seeing they didn't perceive the resurrection. They, he told them. How many times in my own life I, I've read the scriptures or looked at something, and then all of a sudden it's like Wow, I never saw that before. Now I really know what it means. Well, see, there's proof positive now that he had risen from the dead as he declared. Then the disciples went away again under their own home. Interesting, you can be a disciple of Jesus and own a home. You don't have to take a vow of poverty. Give everything away. But Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping, See, she didn't look long enough. She just looked in, and out she went. She didn't really gaze upon it or anything. And she's heartbroken. She thinks, well, you know, she loved the Lord so much. Well, my goodness, he'd cast seven devils out of her. Can you imagine maybe, you know, some slut from the street, a coke or crackhead or heroin addict that had to live on the streets to survive, and then marvelous Jesus comes up without any condemnation, and cleanses her. Delivers her. And she becomes a beautiful woman of God. How she would not love. Even. When To whom much is given. You see that those people love much. I was such a dirty filthy sinner. I, I, I love Jesus so much. What he's done for me. She's weeping. And as she wept she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher. And it's interesting. Now what she's going to see. And when you look in the garden tomb today, the lid over the rectangular sarcophagus, it was carved right out of the rock, exactly as the scriptures in the gospel state. And you look right at it. The only thing is, the lid, the cover of the sarcophagus is gone. So you're looking into a rectangular box, so to speak, in the tomb. But then the lid was there. And there's blood-stained wrappings that a body was in seeped into the... And something else she sees. She seeth two angels in white, sitting the one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had laid. So she sees a little rectangular box with two angels facing one another with blood in between them. And Jesus is there, and she doesn't know it because he's invisible. His presence is there. Lo I come in the volume of the book it's written of me. It's the mercy seat for anyone, anyone here tonight. Maybe you're weeping. Maybe there's something in your life that you can't even tell your husband or your wife. You, you don't know who to talk to. It's so deep and so personal. And you weep. You don't let people at church know, but you weep a lot. There's a mercy seat for you. There's someone who loves you. Maybe you can't see him or perceive him yet, but he's there for you. He's risen. They say unto a woman, "Why weepest thou?" And she saith unto them, because they've taken away my Lord, and I know not where they've laid him and when she turned or had thus said, she turned herself back, she saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus, you know her eyes were filled with tears, and she glances you know remember she's not expecting she she as far as she's concerned he's gone they've stolen the body, no resurrection, and she's heartbroken who and That can happen to anybody. Your eyes are filled with tears. You can look at someone in your own family and not recognize them. You're so emotionally distraught, you're not seeing. All of a sudden, he manifests himself. See, he was there, but now he's going to commune with her. Maybe you haven't seen Jesus. Maybe he'll in some way manifest himself to your heart tonight to show you how much he loves you. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, now he speaks in a way that she doesn't recognize. She's not expecting to hear Jesus. Maybe like he spoke to the men on the road to Emmaus. Why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him. Sir, if thou have borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him. I will take him away. Jesus saith unto her. And now he speaks to her in love. Mary, it just shows you. This is 2 Corinthians 5, 7. We, what? We walk by faith, not by sight. And faith coming, cometh by the hearing of the word. It's not by sight. She looked right at him and didn't know him. But when he spoke to her in perfect love, spoke to her heart, notice, Mary, she turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Exactly as he told Moses, hundreds of years earlier at the base of Mount Sinai. I will meet with you. I will commune with you there. Exactly as David said. And then the Lord takes over and says, Lo, I come. And the volume of the book is written to me. He's come. Jesus Christ has come. The one who spoke and gave Moses the blueprints at the base of Mount Sinai. He's come. He's risen. He's conquered death. He's given the hope of eternal life. And all you have to do is believe, not try and understand or try and, does this work with my ritual or tradition of my background? No, it's what the word says. It's the Bible. He's come. He's died for us. He's risen. the, the resurrection. Not one animal was ever raised from the dead in the Old Testament sacrifices, because it wasn't good enough. It was just a figure. The law can't save, but Jesus, the Lamb of God, was raised from the dead. God accepted his sacrifice. The high priest. And, and after he revealed himself to Mary, he went into the presence of God to show his own blood and his own garment, as the high priest had to, for everybody in this room tonight. And all you have to do is believe. Shall we pray? Father, thank you this marvelous book reveals Jesus Christ in every area thank you Lord that we have a mercy seat now where the perfect blood has been sprinkled thank you Lord we have a risen Savior that the cross is empty and thank you Lord you did it all for us your mercy has held off punishment and now your grace grants salvation and justification We thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for this record, this truth. Your marvelous love for all. In your name we pray. Amen.